Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to continue today our series looking at the connected family. This is our next to last sermon. As we know, the series has been emphasizing and focusing on, on marriage. Next week, we'll focus on uh, rearing children and the fear and admonition of the Lord. Today, we're going to look at three verses while keeping in mind the entire context through which we've been working through. Starting at verse 31. And the precious, magnificent, authentic word of God reads, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You may be seated in the name of our Lord. Today, we are going to talk from the subject, more than bearable, more than bearable, as we listen to Many people in today's culture talk about marriage. We can't help but to know and notice that we kind of, people kind of talk about marriage as something that you just kind of, after a few years, uh, just got to bear with. Uh, It's kind of like purchasing a vehicle from a loved one or from a friend, and they tell you that it's in excellent shape. And then after about two months, you find out that that vehicle has more issues than you signed up for. Amen. And that's kind of how we think about marriage. Uh, More people are excited about the wedding than they are about the marriage. In fact, some people just get married so that they can throw a big party. And their attitude is, is, well, if it don't work out, at least we had a good time. That one day or on that honeymoon. Amen. Well, God has not called us to just bear with one another. He has not just called us to be married and to be in this institution and just barely get along. As we look at the scriptures, we can't help but to be faced with the fact that God sees marriage as a beautiful institution. That if it is done correctly and done with God as the center of it, would be not only more than bearable, but will uh, be a a bountiful blessing in the life of the husband and in the life of the wife. And as we look at today's text and as we continue to meditate on Ephesians chapter 5, we have to understand that the Apostle Paul was ministering to a group of people and to a church that pretty much viewed marriage in the same way, if not a worse way, than the average American does today, in a very casual way. And Paul is calling the church to to see how beautiful and how glorious the marriage union is, And, and that when we look to God, when we look to God for instruction in marriage, 
that it truly can be a glorious thing, a glorious event. So as we just look at these two verses today, I want to share a, a couple of thoughts, a few thoughts with you. And the first thought that I want to share with you uh, after meditating on these verses that uh, we hear all the time that have become very familiar to us is this, is that marriage becomes more than bearable when each person, each Christian, each spouse seeks God's word for their answers. Marriage becomes more than bearable when we go to God's word for the answers uh, that we have, have a desperate need for, for the answer. You know, I was uh, reading an article not too long ago, and in the article it talked about how a, to- uh, a writer told the story about how a major uh, CEO of a, of a major company how he uh, had a problem one morning when he went into work as their operating systems on their computers were, were basically struggling, and it was failing. And it talked about how the CEO went and called the manufacturer and said, listen, we are losing money by the day because our computer systems aren't up. And he says, I want you all to get someone over here as soon as possible. And he called the main office, and the main office happened to be in America. So... The company then flew a man out to this company that was having a problem with their system. And the man came in uh, towards the end of the day as he flew in uh, that night, and he came into the building, and the CEO was there. And he began to look at the operating system, and the CEO just began to chew him out and said, you know, I can't believe that they sent you to work on this. You didn't show up in a suit. You're looking so casual. How in the world are you going to fix this problem? And within two minutes, the man fixed the problem and then reached in his backpack and said, I know that they gave you all one of these. Your your technicians have one of these, but I'm going to give you another one. This is the instruction manual. And we told you, if you have any problems, if you just read the instruction manual, you'll probably be able to work it out yourself. And he began to explain how this multi-million dollar industry lost all of this money simply because they didn't read the first page of the manual. And I declare that many Christians are living in a circumstance and living in a marital situation in which they are wondering whether or not uh, God has called them to this marriage. And the reason that they're suffering through this marriage and through marriage so much is simply because they don't have a high view of God's instruction manual or a high view of God's word. But what's interesting about Paul in this text is he is just dropping wisdom. He is dropping knowledge. He is just talking about rose and all these great things that we've read. And then here in this verse, in verse 31, he brings us back to the beginning. He brings us back to God's first words about marriage. We see this in verse 31. Listen to what he says. And this is Paul reflecting back on Genesis chapter 2, 24. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Paul, when he's ministering to these people who are having difficulties, these Christians whose marriages are struggling and and even falling apart, he doesn't go to the world's philosophy. He doesn't go to Athens and get a Greek philosophy major. He doesn't go to their modern-day Oprah. He doesn't quote his friend, Lil Nuke Nuke and Lil Bebe. 
Um, he doesn't even try to, to come up with the answer himself. He goes back to the Bible. He goes back to God's word. He goes back to God's word. When you are having marital problems, how long does it take you to go to God's word? This verse that we're looking at here in verse 31 is an extremely important verse. And we know that it's an extremely important verse, number one, because it's in the Bible. But number two, because this is one of the most quoted verses in the Bible by other biblical authors. Paul quotes it here. He also quotes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus, when he's ministering to the disciples and when he's ministering to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they're asking him questions about marriage, he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, in both Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, and Mark chapter 10, verse 7. I'm here to tell you today something that you already know, but something that you and I, that we can stand to hear every day of our lives. Most of our answers to most, to all of our problems, pretty much, can be found, the principles can be found in God's word on how to solve But the key is not just reading God's word. The key is not just memorizing God's word, but it's making up in our hearts to submit and to obey God's word. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, this is what the Lord told Jeremiah to tell to the people. And even what he, and after Jeremiah told it to the people, this is what the Lord said. He says, listen, thus says the Lord. He tells Jeremiah, stand by the roads and look. He says, observe. And ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. And walk in it. And there you will find rest for your souls. But the Bible says, but the people said, we will not walk in it. We will not walk in it. And as I look at the culture and how the culture is going to all these self-help gurus and how people are spending thousands and thousands of of monies on secular resources to help their marriage, God is standing back and saying, look to the ancient ways. (laughs) Look to the ancient paths. (laughs) Look to that old, old book that worked for your grandmother and some of your mothers and fathers. And there you will find rest for your souls when you trust and obey God's word. Do you value other people's opinion about your marriage more than God's word about marriage? When you and your spouse find yourself in in difficulties and find yourself at a crossroad, which if you're married, you will find yourself, what is... What is the prescription that you run to? Is it, is it just watching TV? Is it giving them a cold shoulder? Is it telling your girlfriends or going to your boyfriend? Your boy, your guys don't have boyfriends. <laughs> we have male friends, amen. <laughs> but what is, what is the prescription? What do you run to, amen? So the first thought that I, I want to share with you is this, is that when you have problems in your marriage, go to God, go to God's word for your answer. Don't go and run to everybody else and everything else. First, seek the scriptures and make up your mind to obey it. The second thing, as we meditate on this verse and as we meditate on the scriptures that we want to keep in mind is this. As Christian marriage becomes more bearable when each person knows and walks in their God-given roles and responsibilities. Christian marriage becomes more than bearable when we simply 
know our roles <laughs> as spouses and we make up our mind to walk in the roles and responsibility that God has given us. Look at verse 31. And reflecting back on Moses' word, Paul says and quotes, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and shall leave his mother. Now I've looked at this verse many times and I've talked about this verse many times with you. And we've dissected it. But as I was reading it, something, something stuck out to me that I, I had not really emphasized or, or, or seen before. And it's this. He says, and he points to the man's responsibility to leave his mother and his father, and to cleave to his wife. He goes back to biblical headship. He goes back to the role of a man. And he says it's the, the role of a man to lead by example. And part of the problem that we see with marriage in general, the reason why the divorce rate is so high, and looks very similar among Christians as it does among the culture of today. This is because I'm convinced that many people, wives who, who got married, husbands who got married, got married without really knowing what God expects from them as a husband and as a wife. For some reason, we spend more time thinking about purchasing a vehicle and researching and, and, and thinking about purchasing a house than we do about the way in which our marriage should work and is going to work. And if your marriage and our marriage, is, if my marriage is going to be successful, it is going to be successful because we know individually what the Lord requires from us. And as I was thinking through this and meditating on this, I thought about biblical illustrations and examples of, of God being consistent and, and keeping in line when he ministered to a husband and a wife with the, head, with the roles that was given. For example, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 real quick. And you know, we've put, we stressed earlier in this series about the role of a man in marriage as the loving leader of his house, as the head of his house, which is the servant leader of his house. And we stressed and talked about the role of a wife, which is the creative counterpart of the husband, the, the, the helpmeet, the prayer warrior, the one who disciples her, her children and makes the home a place of worship. And as I was thinking about Jesus' family in Matthew chapter 1, I couldn't help but to notice how God worked through Joseph and Mary and how he was consistent with his divine order, even in, in the midst of, of Jesus' birth. Look at verse 18. Verse 18. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, 
Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Now look at verse 24. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to her son. Now look at chapter 2, verse 13. So we see the angel of the Lord coming to to Joseph in a dream, verse 13 in chapter 2. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him, to destroy him. Now I want you to skip down to verse 19. Verse 19, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and Egypt, Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. Now, what can we gather from these three things? We can gather that God honors. God honors biblical roles. Now, we know in uh, the other gospel account that God appeared to Mary, but any time, there was a decision to be made. Anytime Joseph's family was to move, God came to Joseph the head and said, this is what you're supposed to do. And what I'm saying is, is that in their family, as God was forming their family, God was showing Joseph that he was to be the head of his house, that he was to be the one who was seeking the Lord for vision. For the vision of his home. And what I'm saying today is I believe that the, one of the reasons why the, the divorce rate is so high is because men, we don't walk in or seek to walk in our role. And women, we're not seeking to walk or to stay in our role, to stay in our lanes. God has given us a lane. And as the head of our homes, men, the lane in which we are to travel down, is to be the visionary of the family, is to be active in setting a a plan for the family, is to pray to God and beg God to speak to our hearts on behalf of our family so that we can follow his leadership as they follow ours. But many families, many marriages are more egalitarian, which means there is is, is no no definition or no defining of roles. The wife wants to be the head, and some husbands are lazy, and they ask her to be the head. But we, if our marriages are going to be successful, we have to know our lanes. I tell you, man, growing up playing uh, basketball in high school, we had a center who was seven feet tall, was the talk of the city, could have been a great basketball player, except he had one problem as he thought he was the point guard. He would get a rebound, and the guards would say, outlet, outlet, ball, give us the ball. The coach would say, get the ball from him. And he would just start dribbling down court between his legs, seven-foot guy, leaving the ball all the way up here. And almost every time he did it, he got the ball stolen. And every time when we would come to the bench as a point guard, the coach would chew us out for not knowing our role and for not forcing him to give us the ball. 
And anytime that sinner, anytime he thought that he was Michael Jordan or Chris Paul or, or uh, Rondo, uh, rather than being a big man in the middle, our team would just be confused and we would start losing our ground. But when we all knew our roles, when the point guard knew that his role was to take uh, directions and instructions from the coach, when the shooting guard knew that he was to come off screens and to get himself open for the ball, when the small forward knew that he was to run his lanes and be the slasher, when the power forward knew that his primary responsibility was to box out and to get rebounds, and the center knew that his was the same, things clicked and things went well and we ended up winning. Well, it's the same way in our families. When we know our roles, things will go better. When we walk in what the Lord has called us to do as husbands and wives, there will be peace in our home. There will be peace in our homes. Singles, as you're looking, if you're looking to get married and you feel that the Lord has called you to marriage and they have not given you the, the gift of singleness, right now that's what you want to devote yourself to. You want to devote yourself to studying the scriptures to see what it means to be a, a godly wife to see what's the roles of a godly wife. You want to study texts like, like Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 on. You want to study texts like Titus chapter 2 and meditate on them. You want to go through the book of Proverbs and, and study what, what the, the proverb, the writer of Proverbs, what, the wisdom that he was given to women. Men, you want, to, you want to begin to study and to throw yourself into the scriptures to learn what it, it means to be a godly husband. And look at texts like Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 5, Titus chapter 2, in order that you will know your role. You want to find a godly example of a, of a, of a, a godly couple. You want to look throughout the church and say, what couple in this church gives a great example of what it means to, to be married? And then you want to See, if, if they will sit down with you, if the wife will sit down with you women and talk to you about her, the things she's learned in marriage and have Bible study with her. And you want to look, men, and find a godly man and say, can you, can you teach me and show me what marriage is like so that I'll be prepared when it comes? You want to invest your time and your resources into Christian literature that's going to help you that's going to help you to look more like Christ in that role. I'm telling you, it's going to help your relationship be more, more than bearable. It's going to help your relationship to be beautiful, to be awesome. Many people, we just go into marriage just too lackadaisical, too lackadaisical, and we're too lazy in, in pursuing a Christ-centered marriage, too lazy in pursuing a Christ-centered marriage. The next thing this text shows us, third thing, is this. Christian marriage becomes more than bearable when a couple fights and labors to protect their oneness. Christian marriage becomes more than bearable when a couple fights and labors to protect their oneness. Look at the next verse back over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, in fact, we'll say verse 31 it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is fine, profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. 
So Paul, after he talks about this, this role and talks about our, our call to, to uh, 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 a man's call to forsake his family, he, he then talks about this, this call to cleave to our wives, this call to literally be glued to our wives, this, this call to have intimacy with our wives and, and closeness with our wives. He said it is to be a one flesh union. The two shall become one. Marriage is all about oneness. It's about us recognizing that God is taking two individuals and he's merging their lives together. Merging their lives together. A lot of problems in marriage come because both the husband and the wife sees themselves as individuals. When a man stands before a a preacher, he stands before them saying, I am no longer going to be me, myself, and I. But I am joining in with my wife, and we are now one. We are to to leave and to cleave in our entire marriage. We are fighting for oneness. Fighting for oneness. Fighting for oneness. We fight for oneness in our finances. We fight for oneness in sexual intimacy. We fight for oneness in, in raising children. Every area of our, of our, our marriage becomes one. And, and some of the issues that many couples have in marriages is that they're still going into marriage as two people who have agreed to live together. The husband has his money, the wife has her money. The husband pays his bill, the wife pays her bills. There is no your money and my money. It's our money. There is no your car and my car. Honey, I see your car is low on gas. What you gonna do? I see you struggling to pay your half of the bills. Well, I'll loan you some money and you just loan you some money. Have you slipped and bumped your head? You don't loan your spouse money. I'm on somebody's toes. The wisest advice that I can give you on, on finances quickly is, is, is you do, you merge your money. Well, I don't trust her with money. I don't trust him with money. Then you shouldn't have trusted them with, with, with the marriage union or in the marriage union. When you get married to a person, you're saying, I trust you, and more than that, I trust the Lord. Well, what if your partner has problems managing money? Then you all sit together, and the person who is stronger with managing money is the person who will oversee it. And by oversee it, I, don't, I mean just that. They, they come to agreement. You sit down and say, this is how we're going to do it. When we get our check, we're going to first tie to the Lord, give the Lord what, what he deserves and what he owes. After that, we're going to pay for the necessities of the house, make sure a roof is over our head, the car notice paid. Our, our children are taken care of. Out of that, we're going to designate a certain percentage to go to you. And for me, we're going to pay ourselves to make sure that we have money to spend and to go. And out of that, we'll have a, a mutual savings where we both have it, money for a rainy day. But you don't have two separate accounts and treat it as if you all are just, just still dating and just living in the same house. And if all else fails, the best thing to do with your financial situation 
And not even if all else fails, if you're struggling, is to sit down and to talk to someone who is wise in handling money. We have many people here at the church who are wise at handling money. There's many resources and books that, that can help you. Next week, I'll give you a list of them. But you want to invest in your marriage. You want to fight for that intimacy. You want to fight for that oneness. And you don't want to give Satan a door in which he can creep in. And as I said, if, if one of the spouses have a problem with gambling or spending too much, then you need to sit down with someone and you guys need to come up with a plan to help that person. You have been put in your husband and your wife's life to help them to look more like Christ. To help them to look more like Christ. Some of the things that separate, the, that hinders oneness in marriage, number one, in every marriage, is our sinfulness. Is our sinfulness. When you get married, you marry a sinner. And I know the royal wedding looked great. And I know Kate and Prince William just seemed like they had it all together. But I guarantee you, both of them now know that both of them are pure sinners. And, and, and there's some things about each other that they wish that they could change that they don't, that they don't like. Well, marriage, in marriage, we, we tell our spouses and we show our spouses those blind spots. And after telling them and, and showing them and, and going to God's word and, and lovingly correcting them, if they don't change, we pray for them. We fast for them. We do everything we can to see them be made whole, to see them be made whole. Not only that, some of the issues that separated us from oneness is, is parents. He says, leave your father and your mother. And he's not talking about just a geographical location, a geographical departure while that is necessary. And he's definitely not telling us to forsake or to abandon our parents and our loved ones. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, the one who does not take care of his family and his immediate family is worse than an unbeliever. We are to love our family and to take care of our parents and to take care of our siblings when we have the opportunity to. But we are not, well, but what he's saying here when leaving Cleve, he's saying that there should be no one on the face of this earth, no one, absolutely no one, whose opinion you cherish more than your spouse. Wives, you should be your husband's biggest fan. Well, I don't have a lot to be a fan of. Well, find something to be a fan of. You like the way he pull up his slacks and the way he looks in his briefs? Compliment him. You're his biggest fan. Let that drive you crazy. You can find something. And husbands, you ought to be your wife's biggest fan, your wife's biggest supporter. No one should out-compliment your wife, compliment you, uh, your wife. No one should outdo you in complimenting your wife or your husband. You should care about your husband's thoughts. You should care about your wife's thoughts. Sometimes you should just say, sweetie, I just want to know what you was just thinking. I don't care if you were thinking about going to the restroom. I want to know what you were thinking about and how you were thinking about it because I value your thoughts that much. Know your spouse's dreams. Know your spouse's aspiration. Know, know their opinions. Know them better than anyone else. Nobody else, including their, your, their mother or father, should be able to tell you more about them. Sometimes children hinder us from spiritual intimacy and oneness. Some of us, we worship our children. The Bible says the two shall become one flesh. There is no closer union than a husband and a, and a wife. No closer union. Our kids should come second, a far second to our wife and to our husband. 
And, and a, a trap that many of us fall in is we think that our kids have to be involved in everything. Little Johnny is in hockey. He don't even like hockey. He's in baseball, basketball, track. He's in karate. And you say, well, we just don't have time for each other. Duh. You got a two-year-old in all of these things. You sit down and you watch them play one or two sports, and you say, listen, the rest of these sports are cool. You can play them outside. <laughs> but we are not about to sign you up for this one because, eh, to be honest with you, uh, you're not really, you, you can grow in this area. We'll work on this area for a while at home. You don't want to crush it. But some of us, we put our kids over our spouse, and our spouse is going neglected and frustrated because everything is revolving around little nuke nuke or little baby. Everything. For children to see you being affectionate with one another. They should see you telling them to just go to your room. No, you didn't do anything bad, but I just want to look mommy in the eyes for a minute. You know, George Bush a couple years ago did something that was just absolutely, probably inappropriate <laughs> and outlandish. As he was getting ready to, to give a speech, his speech, his wife was up on the podium with him, and, and he just kind of gave her a gentle tap in an area that he probably shouldn't give her a tap in public. And the media just went crazy. Like, how disrespectful for that? But, man, I tell you, if I'm going to be accused of something, I want to be accused of loving my wife and being too affectionate with my wife than not too affectionate. Some of us, our career is what separates us. We're more ambitious about our career than we are about our spouse. For some of us, it's our friends. Listen, when you get married, your friends have to understand, and if they don't understand, they're not your friends. They have to understand that your ministry is your spouse. A man and a woman should not be coming in the house at 1 a.m., on a regular because they've been hanging out with their boys or hanging out with their girls. I can see every now and then, but weekly, that's not going to cut it. You all need to have boundaries. You need to make your spouse feel as if they are, the, they are with you and they are safe and they can trust you. And that's some of the marital problems is simply that they, your spouse can't trust you. You need to build that trust. Make them feel secure. Don't hide your cell phone at night or in the morning. Now, wives, you shouldn't be running to your, your spouse's phone every few seconds trying to see who's calling. But your spouse should give you a, a level of trust. My wife, she has my, uh, my every account. And I encourage her whenever you want to. And she encouraged me whenever you want to pick up my phone and go through my text messages, I ain't deleting nothing. And you have a question, you can come and ask me, and I should be able to do the same for you. Facebook, my Facebook is your Facebook. My account is your account. The reason why some people are losing their mind in marriage is because they're just paranoid. Because we are not giving our spouses the trust that they deserve. We are one. What's yours is mine. My casa, su casa. I say that right, sweetie? Amen. Some of us, we don't have oneness because of technology. Say so we don't have time for each other, but we spend 20, 30 minutes on Facebook every day. As soon as we get home. Spend an hour, three hours. Always glued to a computer screen. Always on the internet, just searching. And the other person is sitting right on the couch watching TV. 
So here's some simple ways, some quick ways before we move to our last point, which is only going to take a second, in which we can achieve one. It's number one is by setting aside undisturbed time for conversation. Setting aside daily undisturbed time for conversation. Even if it's 5, 10, 15 minutes, you want to find just some time where you all can look each other in the eye and just ask each other about his day. And sometimes that may not be when you first come in from work because you may be tired. And maybe you need some time to debrief, but when you come home, say, sweetie, I need about 30 minutes to debrief. It's been a long day, been talking all day. Just give me a little time, and then I want to come to you, and I just want to hear about your day. Another way that we achieve it is by dating. It's by protecting and having a date, a, a, a time in which we can look forward to go on a date. And I encourage all couples to try to find that once a week, but if you can't find that once a week, try to at least get it in maybe twice a month. If you can't find it twice a month, just have a... A once-a-month date night where you all are looking forward to spending time together. Marriages are crumbling and people can't bear it because we stopped dating. Remember how fun it used to be? Remember how you used to put on your nice clothes to impress each other and make sure you have that nice cologne and clean the car? And Somehow we get married and the car's dirty and we don't want to shower and we call a date going to church. When last time you went on a date? Last Sunday? What happened to dating? What happened to looking each other in the eyes and having dreams and having hopes? What happened to, to getting together and, and trying to impress your spouse? Wives? I say something real quick. All right, y'all said go ahead. Amen. <laughs> you know, part of that is, 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 is when you're at home being presentable. Not all the time. But, but sometimes just throwing on some, throwing some nice clothes on a Saturday even though you don't have nothing planned and you're not going nowhere. And husbands, the same thing. You don't always have to wear that T-shirt with everything spilled on it because it's your favorite T-shirt. Put on a button up, freshen up. Freshen up. Spiritual intimacy is important. Pray together. Read together. Men, lead in that if you can. Don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to be the, the best theologian, but just take a minute or two minutes out of a day, maybe before you, then just read some verses together. Have a, have a reading plan together. Maybe go through the book of the Bible together and just kind of nonchalantly talk about it as you go throughout your days. Pray together. These are ways to feel closer to your spouse and to be closer to yourself. Read a book together. We got a book of the month. You don't know what to read? Read the book of the month together. Read a chapter and then say for five minutes we're going to talk about it. Or read a paragraph and then talk about it. Find a common hobby together. Fight for, fight for oneness. Finally, the Christian marriage becomes more than bearable when couples know what motivates the other person. The Christian marriage becomes more than bearable when we know what motivates the, the average person. I want you to look real quick at Ephesians chapter 5. And I want you to pay attention to verse 33. In verse 32, let's go up to 32 real quick. It says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And that's exactly what, what the picture of marriage is, talking about that closeness, talking about that intimacy. Uh, our marriage is to be a picture of, of the clo how close a, a, a Christ is to his church. A, a husband and wife is to be a reflection of the relationship between Christ and his church. Christ and his church. Verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
Now look at this. This is kind of the theme of this whole chapter. Paul is saying, husbands, love your wives. We've seen that earlier. And he showed a a husband how to love his wife by nourishing and by cherishing his wife. That's what motivates women, love. Love motivates women. Love is what motivates a woman. Amen. In his book, Dr. Emerson Eggerich says this. He says, women wear pink glasses and men wear blue glasses. Women view everything through love. Men through everything, view everything through respect. Through respect. You need to talk to your wife and say, what makes you feel love? When do you feel love? And make a list. You need to notice when she feels love. Dr. Emerson says this. He puts a great picture, a great demonstration before us. He says, I want you to imagine a wife has an a, a air tank. And on her air tank, it says love. And I want you to imagine that husband, he's connected to an air tank. And on his air tank, it says respect. And anytime you, you sense your wife frustrated and irritated with you and upset with you, uh, think about it as this way. Think about and, and, and look at yourself and say, am I stepping on her air holes? Am I doing things that is causing her to suffocate because I'm not loving her? And women, we view, they view love as different than us. You know, we say we love you. Yes, you know I love you by, by some of the things that, that we think is loving her. But to your wife, loving her may be hugging, even though you're not a person that hugs. A man should love his wife like Christ loves the church. How did Christ love his church? He gave himself up for He sacrificed for So maybe you need to sacrifice a hug or two per day. And maybe hold hands every now and then. Maybe send, send a, a text message in the middle of the day. Or, 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 or a, a phone call at a certain part of the day just to see how she's doing. To you, it's not a big deal. You say, I'll see her later on tonight or I'll see her in a couple hours. Hey, but to her, to her, you're giving her life. You're giving her breath. And the same thing for men. Look at what the text says. He says, and, and then wives. He said, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let her see that she respects her husband. That's huge for men. Men care about respect more than they do about having the lovey-doveys. They do. In a survey that was done by the decision analyst, Inc., they learned that 81% of men, when asked the question, if in the middle of a conflict they felt they would rather feel unloved or disrespected, what would they choose? 81% of men said they would rather feel unloved. Men rather feel unloved than disrespectful. Another survey that I read said the same thing. When 70, about 75% of men, when they were asked the question, if you were left here on this earth, and you either had to be unloved by everyone or disrespected by everyone, which one would you rather feel? And they said unloved by everyone. Men are motivated by respect. And when a wife is not respecting her husband, she's stepping on his air holes. And what does respecting a husband look like? It it looks like trusting his headship and his leadership. It looks like not cutting him off in the middle of of him talking. You know, some husbands, after their first year of marriage, became quiet all of a sudden because wives started finishing their sentences. Really. Studies have shown that most husbands, when they say, why don't you talk anymore, they say, because she thinks she knows everything about me. (laughs) 
Love and respect is huge. Why should you respect your husbands? By not nagging, by not mothering them, by not putting them down. When you respect your husband, even if your husband is not being the spiritual head of the house that he should be, you are giving him life. You are giving him life. Dr. E.V. Hill, a great minister who served as senior pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, he lost his wife Jane to cancer a, a few years ago. And while he was giving her eulogy, he told the story about how he was a young pastor and he was struggling financially. And he's a great pastor, well-respected by everybody now. And he talks about how one day he came home and he saw that his wife had prepared a candlelight dinner. And he thought to myself, oh, she is so sweet. So he went and washed his hands. He went, he went to turn on the light and the lights did not come on. And he said, oops. So he walked into the, the area of dining and he said uh, to her, he says, yeah, the lights didn't come off on. She said, yeah, I know. She said, so, but I thought this was the, the prof- perfect opportunity for us to have a candlelight dinner. She says, I know that you're working hard and you're doing God's work. And I believe that God is going to provide for. And this is just a moment of test. I just want to encourage you to keep going. Tonight, we're going to have a candlelight dinner. And tomorrow, we'll figure out how to get these lights back on. And he said that that won his heart over. And in tears, as he's preaching his eulogy, her eulogy, he just talks about how her respect for him, her trust in him, caused and propelled him to be a better man than he would have been without her. Wives, encourage your husbands by respecting them. Listen, listen, listen. Your marriage will be more than bearable no matter where you are in it if you trust and obey God's word. I can imagine how difficult it is. I can imagine just how hard it is. I can imagine if you're in a difficult situation, how cold the house can sometimes be. But you have to remember that you are serving and you are obeying a God that is so great. A God that hung the galaxies with just a word. Who placed the stars in in their position just by speaking. A God who split the Red Sea for Israel as if it was nothing. A God who allowed his son to be wrapped in human form and to travel down 42 generations and to live a perfect life and to die a humble death in order that you may have life. You serve a God that can make the impossible possible. Do not give up on your marriage. Yes, you have a right to divorce if if there's gross sexual immorality and if there's desertion, but fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage as long as you can. Fight for your marriage with everything that you have. Trust and believe and obey God. Believe that he can do exceptional things with sometimes unexceptional people. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we just thank you for this time. We praise you, Father God, and we believe that in this church that you are going to build strong marriages. You are going to help us through your spirit to encourage our spouses to be our spouse's biggest fan, to to abhor the things that seek to distract us, to value our spouse's opinions and thoughts more, more than anyone else's, Lord. Help us to leave and to cleave. Help us to trust you, Father God, the God of the universe. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.